Welcome to the Ultimate Tournament of Everything, a bracket-style competition show where we compare everything on Wikipedia in a deathmatch against everything else on Wikipedia. Nothing more true has ever been said or probably will be said on this semi-factual podcast. And we do the aforementioned battling by putting every single thing of everything that exists inside the core of a bowling ball. We then throw those bowling balls down 10 pins at a time and see which one will every time set us on a course for a perfect game. That will, of course, be moving on to the next round of... I don't know about you, but I'm a bad bowler without the extra degree of difficulty, and I don't really want to get 10 gutter balls in a row, which I guess would get me through half the game, right? That's how bowling works? That would be half of the game, just under if you do well in the 10th frame, but I say we strike that and do what we actually do. Okay, great. What we'll actually be doing is using a random Wikipedia page generator to pick two articles and compare them one by one, two by two, to figure out which one of those is the winner. We'll do that nine times in a row and move all of those winners into an inevitable round two of the tournament. Round two being inevitable is kind of a misnomer because infinity is really more things than we have time for too true and it becomes more all the time so let's stop wasting that precious time and get in to round one round one in round one we have marita Payne against rowing at the 2004 summer olympics specifically the men's double skulls Nothing but champions to start out this first round. We've got a Canadian former track and field athlete who competed in two consecutive Summer Olympics. That person was Marita Payne Wiggins facing off against, uh, again, well, I guess most of the people in this weren't champions, but some champions did come out of it. The men's double scrolls competition, not sure what that is, at the 2004 Summer Olympics. Now, really, we got to know who's going to win, the land or the sea. Well, let's start where we're currently standing, the land. Marita Payne Wiggins is a Canadian former track and field athlete who is the co-Canadian record holder in the 400 meter along with Jillian Richardson. And previously, she held the Canadian record in the 200 meter. Meter, of course, spelled with the E and the R flipped because they are Canadian. Indeed, as was not Miss Marita. She was born in Barbados and spent her early childhood in Christchurch. As a young child, her parents, Ina and Clarence Payne, moved to New York City, the Big Apple, for school and work, leaving her behind in Barbados. But in 1970, when Payne was nine, she rejoined her parents and the family settled in Toronto, Ontario, and later in Concord, Ontario, thus establishing her as a Canadian. It's a very smart move. Move her only once you're safe in Canada and not when you're in America. Not a bad idea. Now, while in Toronto, she blossomed into a star sprinter, becoming the Ontario Provincial Champion in both the Senior 100 and 200 meters in 1979. In 1980, Payne enrolled at Florida State University because everyone knows you go to Canada for the health care, but you come to Florida for the education. (laughs) There she competed for the Seminoles track and field team before graduating in 1984, and she was the 400-meter national champion in 82 and 84. Now, it says that she was a 21-time NCAA All-American. That's pretty impressive. Forrest Gump only managed that once maybe twice i think he got to see the president again but she was a 400 meters national champion in 1982 and 1984 a 4x1 meter relay national champion in 81 83 and 84 an indoor uh 4x200 she just won so much of what she competed in so much so that she began competing for Canet. Canada in the 1979 oh, Pan American Games, <laughs> where she won a bronze medal with the 4x400 meter relay team. Now, let's get to the point that everyone actually cares about the Olympics. 
in the 1984 Summer Olympics held in the very wonderful place of L.A., which I hear, as of this recording, has a blizzard warning. <laughs> so that's that's a thing. Uh, Payne won the silver medal in the 4x4 with her teammates Charmaine Crooks, Jillian Richardson, and Molly Killingbeck. She also competed with her teammates Angela Bailey, Angela Taylor Asajanko, and France Garot in the 4x100, in which the team also won a silver medal. And then she finished fourth individually in the 400, establishing that new Canadian 400 record that she currently shares. Yes. So she got many medals. She got a gold, a silver, a bronze. But you know what else had a gold, a silver, and a bronze? Was rowing at the 2004 Summer Olympics and specifically again. Men's double skulls. So we're going to figure out what all of that means and how awesome, in fact, it was. So this skull is spelled differently than the one you have on top of your neck. This one has a C instead of a K. A sculling boat, that's that really thin boat you think of where they each have two oars, one on each side of the boat. The rowing events were held at the Shaneas Olympic Rowing and Canoeing Center because everyone knows you have to have rowing and canoeing in the same body of water. That's right. And you're off. If you're off center, you're bound to tip over the boat and get very wet. Now, we have a gold member, a gold uh, medalist winner here, Adrian Hardy and Sebastian Vieira Dent from France. Uh, second was It's Talk Cup and Luca Speak from Slovenia. And uh, let's see, the Italians took the bronze. Mr. Mr. Rosano Galtarosa and Alessio Satori. Now, there you go. Those are the winners, the losers, and the people that made the podium. There were other teams that won by losing. That's right. When you win by, if you win a rowing competition, you have to stay in the water. And that's, I think, the problem because we have boats with motors nowadays. So, great. You're the fastest guy out there, but watch me on my jet ski. Congratulations. And that's exactly what the American team did. Aquil and Henry, they lost, but that's okay because then they got to get on the fast engine-powered boat. That's right, and that's a lot more fun. You can tow a, a raft behind it, and that's just a good time for all involved. And I don't think, though, looking at this, that everybody had a good time in this event. But I'm thinking that looking at her, uh, you know, whole resume here marita Payne. oh also there's a, a photo here of her she seems to be enjoying life uh very fast very successful and i think that's why at this point i'm leaning towards our former canadian track and field athlete yeah i think i have to give the win i don't even know how far these people were going while they were rowing but i got to imagine that it's not very far maybe too far i don't know i have no nothing about rowing i think it's one of the when i think of like rich white people sport i i think of rowing and uh the one on one with horses with the stick like croquet but on horseback uh yes they're big into polo and in fact they even do that in the water too rowing at the 2004 summer olympics and specifically the men's double skulls you're all wet because marita Payne, the canadian track and field athlete is moving on in great speed to the ultimate tournament of everything well good for her congratulations for being the tied for first fastest Canadian in the 400. Yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, another gold medal for them and another gold medal for us for completing a round. Why don't we attempt to uh, double up on our winnings and move on to round two. It's time for round two. In round two, we have a name that I can only pronounce because I've heard it on TV against Jaffna College, which I can't pronounce because I've never heard it on TV. Now, the other competitor on the other side, none other than Wyatt Sinak. Ah, uh, two places to go for a lot of good information. We've got someone who is presently a correspondent and writer for The Daily Show. No, wait, they're not anymore, but they used to be, and that's good enough for me. Versus Jaffna College, which is still a college founded in 1871 in Vadukadai, Sri Lanka. Now, Wyatt John Foster Sinek Jr., Born April 19th, 1976, American comedian, actor, producer, and writer. 
Initially got his start on The Daily Show, then starred in the TBS series People of Earth and in Barry Jenkins' first feature, Medicine for Melancholy. He also hosted and produced the HBO series Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas. Born in New York in April of 1976, a pivotal year, one might say, at St. Vincent's Hospital in Manhattan, he spent his early years in the Bronx. His father, Wyatt Cenac Sr., was a cab driver born in St. Mark Parish, Granada in 1944. And when Cenac was five, his father was shot and killed in his cab by a teenage passenger in Harlem. Cenac then moved in with his his mother, a New York native and a Trinidadian stepfather to Dallas, Texas in 1981. Uh, he spent his summers with his maternal grandmother in Brooklyn in an apartment on President Street. While in elementary school, he became friends with comic book writer Brian K. Vaughn. I'm assuming Vaughn was also in elementary school. Otherwise, it's just like a really creepy relationship. I guess I don't know. I'm going to assume that they were both children at the time. Uh, Vaughn also introduced him to comic books. He graduated from the Jesuit College Preparatory School of Dallas and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I don't know why they always mention that. I guess there might be more than one, perhaps. Now, Sinak is a nephew of the Han Mr. Justice Dunbar Sinak, Registry of the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court. His father was the cousin of former Deputy Prime Minister of Grenada, Bernard Cord, who was in prison for 25 years following the American invasion of Grenada. A very impressive lineage. Uh, he's He's been all over the place. Let's get to a little bit of what he did. Uh, having previously worked for three years as a writer on King of the Hill, the famed animated program, Sinek garnered public attention in the Doomed Planet comedy sketch in which he did an impression of then-Senator Barack Obama discussing possible campaign posters. He was hired in June of 2008 as a correspondent and writer on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. After making several comedic appearances alongside his other correspondents, he filed his first field report in July of 2008 titled Baruch Obama, uh, a report discussing Jewish voters' opinions of the Democratic presidential nominee. Now, Whitesnack had some great other sketches, like rapper or Republican, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think that one was hilarious. Now, he did eventually leave The Daily Show. Uh, this stemmed in part from a heated argument he had with Jon Stewart over a June 2011 Daily Show bit about Republican presidential candidate Herman Cain. Who, okay, Herman Cain, may he rest in peace. He's also the guy who used part of a Pokemon speech, I think, on the campaign trail. I think it's that Herman Cain, which, you know, guy would have made a terrible president, but it was always fun to watch him on TV. Now, despite that unfortunate exit from the daily show Sinak did appear on the final episode stewart had on the show and both agreed that they're good so that's good absolutely uh let's see if our other competitor is equally as good let's jump over to jaffna college a private school in sri lanka it was founded as a successor to the balakata seminary which had been established by american missionaries in 1816, American missionaries founded the American Ceylon Mission in Jaffna, and the ACM established missions in other parts of that peninsula, including one in Vadukubdai, I think. The ACM established numerous schools there, the first one being the Common Free School, and then the Batakata Seminary. Lots of schools there started by this missionary group. Alumni of the Batacana Seminary and other local Christians led a campaign to reopen the seminary after it had closed. And in 1871, Jaffna College opened on that former seminary site. So they had a school. They lost a school. They got a school back. That's right. Because you can't keep ideas down. And that's what we're here to you know, demonstrate every single day. Now, what about gravity? Gravity is irrelevant to ideas all it does is the... keep things down that's all gravity does it keeps things down can't keep a good idea i down. will die I... on the bottom of this hill eventually <laughs> yes uh was this school built on a hill let's see if we can find that out nope not included here but what is is the fact that the evelyn rutnam institute for the intercultural studies is located in jaffna and established in the memory of evelyn 
Rutnam, the late wife of Dr. James T. Rutnam, who had a huge collection of books and research articles by his contacts and collection from university dons, researchers, leading legal figures, and businessmen. Learned personnel always visited him there for consultation and made use of his library and later he gave his books to the college in Vadavukai and established a building in Jaffna to store books for research purposes and it was named after his late wife. So they don't have some of these hyperlinked and I wish they did. So University Don, is that like the mob? Like you go in and they're like, I gave him a degree he couldn't refuse. Is that is That's that what this is? That's exactly what it is. It's a GABA school. I love I love this even more now. I thought for sure Wyatt Snack was going to run away with it. But scroll down further. Look at this beard. It is an exceptional beard. Uh, exceptionally weird beard, that is. It's pokey in all the wrong places, and it's longer than you'd expect. However, his hair is pretty short, and his face doesn't look like the type that would have a beard upon it. If you ever saw a beard, now imagine if you turned that man upside down and his beard looked like his hair. That's kind of what this is. I think if you turn that man upside down, I think it works both ways. It's a beard I've never seen before. It, it almost looks fake. Uh, but hey, E.P. Hastings, the last principal of Batacata Seminary and the first principal of Jaffna College, congratulations on your determination because you have to try real hard to grow a beard that long. You do. Uh, well, not deliberately, but it does take a lot of energy, which also it would take to be a correspondent on The Daily Show, to be a writer of so many jokes, and to have lived in so many places here, uh, doing voices for a bunch of stuff. Just looking over Wyatt Cenac. He's got a great filmography, a great TVography. And uh, he's still doing stuff to this day. However, his beard is not nearly as magnificent as the first principal of Jaffna College, E.P. Hastings. And that's why, yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Jaffna College as my selection. The ultimate no argument here. Wide snack. You're great. But that beard. Jaffna College, we're going to want to get a degree in you in the next round. Congratulations. You're moving on to round two. Three. It's time for round three. Moving right along from two to three, we're going to talk about Rodney Coates against Jonathan Lowe. Ah. Uh, Coates and Lowe, classic battle here. We haven't seen these two clash since the preseason. Can't wait to see how their teams have developed in the meantime. Let's get down to the field. Rodney Coates is the American football wide receiver. He played college football at West oh. Florida, where they won the NCAA Division II football championship in 2019. Well, how about that? And Jonathan Lowe, principal and founder of J3 Productions, a design studio. I didn't know you could be called a principal of a design studio. I wonder how many kids get attention there. Now, Rodney Coates grew up in Grove Hill, Alabama, and he attended Clark County High School, where he was a two-time all-county selection in football and a three-year starter in basketball. He had skills in all the sports. Coates played college football at University of West Florida, UWF, or OOF, from 2015 to 2021. And although he redshirted in 2015 and sat out the 2018 season, he finished with 93 career catches for 1,376 yards and 15 touchdowns for OOF. After going undrafted in the 2022 NFL Draft, he went to a team that couldn't throw to him, the Seahawks. And they did pretty well. So Are the Seahawks good this year? Well, they, they did better than anybody expected. They, okay. you know, they did pretty good. They did better than honestly. the Broncos. I guess that's a comparison. They did much better than the Broncos. Okay. And you know who else probably is doing better than the Broncos? <laughs> Most Mr. people. Jonathan Lowe. <laughs> Uh, as we said, founder of J3 Productions, he has acted as the former creative director for Pop Life magazine, contributed as a regional editor for ApartmentTherapy.com, and has been featured as an on-air expert on HGTV's Small Space Big Style. He's also editor of the Design and Lifestyle blog, 
happymundane.com, which is not linked here. That's a great place for a hyperlink, Wikipedia. What are you doing? Missing the www dot. And that is pretty important because the way that you start will dictate the way that you finish. And I've got to say, looking at these two, they're both starting and continuing quite well. I don't think either of them are done. And thus, I am at an, I'm having difficulty here choosing after having read both of these articles. Time for a tiebreaker. Well, Mike, since you can't pick, I think it's only fair that we go to a tiebreaker round. What we're going to do is find different pieces of home decor and chuck them at each other and figure out which one of us can catch the most of them. That way we have an accurate representation of the skills of Jonathan Lowe and Rodney Coates. I'm going to start with a set of steak knives. Can you move back a bit? I have assembled a mountain of chairs and I am ready for you. And in fact, my mountain of chairs is made up of so many chairs and I'll tell you how many chairs. It's made up of a number that I would like to instead pose against your guess of a number between 1 and 10,000. I suppose we can do that. But what am I going to do with this brand new unopened set of steak knives? Make some delicious ribeye. I suppose I can. Okay, your pick between 1 and 10,000 would be? Well, the exact number of chairs I have behind me, 8,367. <laughs> what are these chairs for ants? I'm going to go with six, the correct number of steak knives in my set. <laughs> Using our random Wikipedia generator, the number is 5,530, which unfortunately I believe makes you the winner, and I'm going to have to return these to Ikea. Truly, but we didn't pick anybody that we were representing. And so, Rodney Coates, because I'm looking at your article right now, and I think you're doing just great. You're moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Every once in a while, we forget to tell you who wins, because it really doesn't matter. Yeah, and we're just making this all up as we go, and sometimes that distracts you from what you're doing. But it uh, does not distract you from math, and 3 plus 1 equals round 4. Ah, my round 4 is ready. In round 4, we have the Arnott Station against Yaw-Il Amenkwa. Two things that are not, they're forces to not be reckoned with. We've got a train station versus a train of a soccer player, Yahweh Il Amankwa, the uh, Norwegian former professional footballer. Well, we're going to talk about trains, are we not? Arnott Station is a flag stop railway station in Arnott, Manitoba, Canada. The stop is served by Via Rail's Winnipeg Churchill train. This has a signpost type structure, one platform level, and it's a place where you can get on and off a stationary train that then becomes a moving train in between stops. And they've got a little picture here of the Winnipeg Churchill train. It looks like a desolate region. Uh, it's a limited picture, but it looks like a place where if a train was coming and it would offer you a ride out of there, you just might take it. I'm sure Manitoba's great, but this picture, there's not a lot there. Sorry, Canada. The, ca the Canadians are being well represented, though. Let's see if the Norwegians will be so as we jump over to our other competitor, Yahweh Il Amankwa. Now, he was born July 7th, 1988, and he's a former Norwegian professional footballer. I'm assuming he's a former footballer and not a former Norwegian, but I guess we'll find out. Amankwa has a Ghanaian father and Norwegian mother and was born in Bergen. After playing for Fana IL, which I don't think is Illinois, Amankwa was bought by Bran, again, probably not the cereal, in the summer of 2007, but was loaned out to Fana for the rest of the 2007 season. Amankwa made his debut for Bran on the 28th of June, 2008, and in 2009, he was loaned out to Alta IF. After playing 30 games for Alta in 2009, he returned to Bran in November to take part in preparation for the 2010 season. And then, in January of 2012, Amankwa joined the Sandenfjord Football. And after playing in the 2015 Tipplegan, his contract was due to expire. 
And as he struggled somewhat with injuries, the contract was not renewed. He signed for a third tier FK Turnsberg, and he joined then Hobko IK in the Danish first division in January of 2017, leaving the club at the end of the 2018-19 season. And then in Stebik, he became a captain following the autumn 2020 sale of Andreas Hanche Olsen. I, I just think we need the Muppet Swedish chef to do play-by-play for a soccer game because it would sound just like this. It would be the same. It would be wonderful. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't mind if the on-field commentators were those two guys that sit up in the balcony area and uh, yell, you know, just complain about everything. Mm-hmm. That would be much better than Troy and Buck. There you go. I think I am going to give the win here to Yaw Il Amenqua. I think that's he's my pick for round four here. Yeah, he's been around, and there's a picture of him here wearing some nifty long socks and some nifty blue shorts. I don't see anything but desolation and snow in Arnott Station. And so I don't think that that's going to be enough to defeat this high-scoring former Norwegian professional footballer. Moving on to the next round. Uh, The ultimate tournament of everything. Congratulations, our Ghanaian Norwegian friend. Are not you are is. <laughs> no, you are not. It was it's, it's right there. I don't know why you are not. It, anyway. Oh wait, wait. I had that backwards. Yeah, are not you are are not. <laughs> five. Moving from whatever that was to whatever this is, we're going to talk about the HTC Desire 5 against Zdena Zimmernova. Zimmermanova. Uh, there's a lot of M's here. A whole lot of M's. But there's probably a whole lot of ones and twos. Zeros and ones, rather, because that's how binary works. We've got HTC Desire V, an Android ICS-based dual-SIM smartphone facing off against a retired Czech female volleyball player. So we're going to talk about a phone back when phones weren't really good, but everyone was really excited about what our phones could do, even though they were objectively terrible. Anybody remember T9? I certainly do, and it wasn't great. Now, this HTC Desire V5, probably, Android-based smartphone developed by HTC, supports tri-band GSM on its secondary slot and quad-band slash edge slash dual-band HSPA, HUSPA, on the primary <laughs> SIM 1 slot. So it's a two-SIM card phone, which means it was probably not released in America. That was not very common for us. It's available in two color options, black and white. It has specifications that were considered mid-range by reviewers around the time of release. Reviewers also highlighted the rarity of dual-SIM phones during that time, as did my co-host. Now, it looks like this came out 2012, uh, was its first release smartphone. This is 2012, though. Phones were pretty decent around then. We had to have some crazy... even back in the day, you, you had to wear a backpack to carry your cellular telephone around. Yeah, now don't forget this phone had a whopping four gigabytes of RAM. So you could store almost a whole YouTube commercial on it. Now, how much memory can you store in a sheep? In a sheep? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends how many you count. Okay, I suppose so. But it's tough to do so when you lose consciousness. And someone that I'm sure loses consciousness nightly while they sleep is our other competitor, Zendaya Zimmermanova. How can you make something so restful sound so terrifying? So uh, born November 7th, 1973, she's a retired Czech female volleyball player, part of the Czech Republic women's national team. Participated in the 1994 FIVB Volleyball Women's World Championship, and on the club level, she played with Up Mora Alumoak. She is uh, okay. We have a we have a typo here. Okay, let's look at her stats. Uh, she's 49. She's barely 182 meters tall, which in feet is 597 feet in one inch. I'm assuming that's wrong. 
That's probably why she's so good at volleyball. I don't even know how they got her in the gym. Uh, okay, this lady is a literal giant, and I think that we put that little phone in her hand, and she's not going to know what to do with it. She's just going to crush it, or maybe it'll look like a speck of dust. What is this, a phone for ants? That's what she'll say, because she's almost 600 feet tall. It's going to be so hard for her to type a text message. It was frustrating <laughs> back in that day. I remember the struggle. But I don't know how we turned down a 600-foot <laughs> tall uh, Czech volleyball player against this uh, clearly outdated phone, which we would never uh, you know, choose over the things that we are always tied to and looking at and wasting our lives with. Uh, that we have in our pockets and would not go anywhere without. So, that being said, Zendana Zimmermanova, you're moving on to the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Well, how could we have even stopped her? Like, yeah, I mean, she's yeah. 600 feet tall. Yo. If she wanted to go to the next round, she could just step over the... What, are you going to build a 700-foot-tall <laughs> wall? I don't think so. <laughs> 700. You should just climb over it. A literal giant <laughs> among men. Uh, ma'am, we're going to stand on your shoulders and look right ahead into round six. Make me turn around and ask her. He comes around the last round. There you have it. There is your winner. Round six. I can't get over how tall she was. Okay, we're going to talk yeah, about Yeah, no, as far as I'm concerned, that's the greatest human being that's ever lived. <laughs> I don't even, it's, you know, in my mind, it's not a typo. She's just that big. We're going to talk yeah, about I will always Scott. Believe that. <laughs> We're going to talk about Scott Anderson, racing driver, against the Moorsum system. Uh, two things that are significantly shorter than our previous victor. We've got an American racing driver from Fort Collins, Colorado, facing off against a method of calculating the tonnage of cargo. I love this show. <laughs> Scott Anderson, born February 18th, 1990, a racing driver. He began racing carts at a young age, just like I did. Rainbow Road, those three balloons, different carts probably. In Colorado Sprint Championships, he made the move to two cars, two, two cars, regular two cars, not TWO, but moved two cars. In the Sports Car Club of America Spec Racer Ford, and in 2010, he made his professional debut in the U.S. F2000 National Championship. And in 2011, not content with just competing, he then won the Skip Barber National Championship and a scholarship for a full season of the U.S. F2000 in 2012, where he finished third. In 2013, he moved up the road to Indy and raced in the Pro Mazda Championship for Junco's Racing. Junkos racing. Weren't Junkos those cool old jeans everybody used to wear in the early 2000s and late 90s? I don't even remember. That's possible. Mm, I don't think so, but it probably sounds pretty close. He finished fifth in points with one podium and seven top fives. In 2014, Anderson progressed to Indy Lights with Fan Force United, which returned to the series after a one-year hiatus. He finished eighth in points with a best finish of fourth at the Milwaukee Mile. And it was, in fact, Jenko's, and they were large jeans. Okay, lovely. I'm glad we've looked that up for anyone who was wondering. So, yeah, this guy races a lot, and we have his results there. Some wins, some losses, finishes. He's fast, especially because he's in a car. But, you know, it's probably not fast. Probably a system of calculating tonnage. Yeah, now, this was created in the United Kingdom. Calculating the tonnage or cargo capacity of sailing ships as a basis for assessing harbor and other vessel fees put into use starting in 1849 and became British law in 1854. So not only is it just calculating weight, it's like, hey, man, we have to tax your boat. How big is it? That's what this is. Previous methods included the builder's old measurement, which were not consistently applied. Additionally, they were designed for sailing ships but cannot be applied appropriately to steamships. And substantial portions of the steamship were required for boilers, machinery, and coal, thus limiting the amount it could actually carry. So it's faster, but it carries less. 
So let's get to how this went down. In 1849, the United Kingdom appointed a commission with Admiral George Morsom as secretary to resolve these problems. The commission determined that fees should be proportional to the earning capacity of that ship, whether for cargo or passengers. And the result was called the Morsom System, which is the namesake of our competitor here. This set forth the rules for the measurement of the internal volume of the entire ship. So the internal volume in cubic feet was divided by 100 to produce the gross register tonnage. And then net register tonnage was the volume remaining after subtracting the volume of the space used for machinery and other non-revenue producing functions. Just like the British to come up with something so incredibly practical but never apply it to the things you're eating. What is a meat pie and what are you doing over there? Stop it. Stop it. Anyway, your food choices are your own problem. We have pizza and burgers and wonderful things here in America. You can keep your whatever food. Uh, Bangers and mash. Whatever. Come on. Uh, while the rules for measuring ships changed over the years, the standard of 100 cubic feet per ton remained in effect until a new system was established by the International Convention on Tonnage Measurement of Ships in July of 1982. What a great year for ship measurements. Uh, one that will never be forgotten, hopefully, uh, because I've kind of already forgotten what happened in that year. Uh, as I was looking for other information here, and I'm not seeing a whole lot. However, is that sum total, which we've already reached, greater than or equal to and or lesser than Scott Anderson? Well, I think an actual tonnage, yes, but I don't know how much room he has for carrying goods over the water in his race car. Probably if he was traveling fast enough, he could probably get over a small body of water like those fast-moving lizards. Um, but I'm, again, torn. However, in the end of the day, we've got something that's trying. You know, it's, it's about charging people, not for it. I'm looking at Scott Anderson racing for the gold. And in this case, Crossing the line ahead of its competitor, getting another trip to the winner's circle. Scott Anderson, you're my vote in this round. Take that, taxes. The ultimate tournament of everything. All right, we got a little shake and bake going on there. And after you have a shake and bake, you got to have yourself a nice little meal. And nothing is more delicious then round seven. Round seven. Round seven. Round seven. Round seven. Doesn't round seven just taste like a mashed potato? Anyway, we're going to talk about the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail and the 2018-19 Houston Baptist Huskies men's basketball team. They sound fantastic. Good. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm brimming at the top just by hearing these. That is legitimate here. We've got a trail established in Australia, been in operation for over 100 years, facing off against a team. Were they successful? Looking at their record, not very. Let's see which one of these we will enjoy more. The Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail, conducted by the National Trust of Western Australia along the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme Pipeline, Project was included in the creation of guidebooks, websites, and other materials about the trail. So it sounds like they said, hey, we need to get water somewhere. Let's put a pipe here. And then people are like, well, that's very convenient. I'm going to walk along it. And then like, great, let's do it for real on purpose this time. This project was initiated in the late 90s, and further material was developed between 2001 and 2003 and included the Keep Track as part of the project at OKEP. Kep track. It's a bicycle walking and horse track in the Darling Range in the further east in Western Australia. And while the name might have been golden, the experience has not been completely untarnished. Some communities along the trail have suffered due to change in agricultural decline. However, most communities sustain museums or interpretive signage that give information about the pipeline's history. As the Heritage Trail and Working Pipeline are continuing, considerable effort 
was expended to maintain and sustain the pipeline trail and its related sites, uh, former pumping stations, for example, over time. And the Heritage Trail achieved status on the Australian National Heritage List in 2011. Now it's time for everyone's favorite round seven game. Mike, I need you to put on your best Australian accent because you are going to read the trail sections to the people of America while pretending to be Australian. A good day, everybody. I'm going to, that's um, a little bit too close. I was uh, trying to, I was trying to really throw it out there. A good day, mate. Let me actually do this. Like I said, and I'll, proceed to tell you in uh, another way that I can't do. <laughs> I tried twice. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Do you know who else tried and didn't ever, you know, didn't actually always uh, get it through the hoop, one might say, would be our other competitor, the 2018-19 Houston Baptist Huskies men's basketball team. They're a Division One men's basketball team led by head coach Ron Cottrell in his 28th season at HBU. The Huskies play their home games at Sharp Gymnasium. Interesting name for a place where you have a poppable round object, but that's fine. As members of the Southland Conference the previous season, they went 6-25, and so 12-18 and doesn't sound all that bad. Not bad at all. They played a let's see in a tie for the 11th place failed to qualify for the southland tournament the previous season and i assume they failed to do so in this one as well looking at their schedule they started out their season with a loss followed by a win followed by a loss followed by a win and then it pretty much went downhill a whole lot more losses than wins but we've already mentioned their record and that's about the extent of the article all we know is what they did and did not do now i will say that some of these losses are not by a lot right there's a couple seven or eight points there's a couple with two one they got a game on espn plus which apparently was bad luck for them because they lost by 35 so that's that's not great. Generally, you don't want to lose by that much. Losing it all is bad. Losing by 35 is worse. Uh, yeah, I will give you, looking at these, they, they pretty much either played close games or got blown out. Um, they got blown out kind of a lot, though. And those close games, they weren't on the winning side of most of the time. Not a real recipe for success, but... Will it be enough to be successful over this golden pipeline of Heritage Trail? I don't think it is, and I'll tell you why. I think just for the effort on the accent alone, we need to move them on just so we might be able to hear it again. Ah, oh, we're having a good day, mate. And the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail is too. Moving on to the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. There are really a couple phrases that you can use to jump right into an accent. For pirates, it's yar, and for Australians, it's good day, mate. And I, I think for Americans, it's like, honey, grab my gun. I think that's probably it. I, I guess I wonder how other countries use an American accent. What is their go-to phrase to slide right into that? Their go-to phrase is, it's time for round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! In round eight, this is a great poster. We're going to talk about the Lone Rider in oh. Frontier Fury against Subligny Manch. We've got a film from the American Western genre going off against uh, a commune, a small place in France. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. That will become clear shortly. Let's start with the Lone Rider in Frontier Fury. Now, of course, we're talking about the cult classic 1941 American Western film directed by Sam Newfield. This film stars George Houston as the Lone Rider and Al St. John as his sidekick, Fuzzy Jones, with Hilary Brooke, Carl Hackett, Ted Adams, and Arch Hall Sr. The film was released on August 8, 1941 by Producers Releasing Corporation. The film is also known as Frontier Fury in the United Kingdom and Rangeland Racket, the American reissued title. 
This is the fourth movie in the Lone Rider series, which spans 17 films, 11 starring George Houston, and a further six starring Robert Livingston. So Houston was once an opera singer, sang three songs in, he, in this film. He sang Down by the Old Alamo, A Love That Faded Too Soon, and Ride em Cowboy. These songs were written by Johnny LaRange and Lou Porter. So I've heard of the Lone Ranger. Is the uh-huh. lone is the Lone Rider the musical version? <laughs> is it like the musical spoof of the Lone Ranger? This Lone Ranger, looking at okay, so we have mentioned pretty interesting poster here, but now that I'm looking at it a little bit more, it looks like Dudley Do Right in the Wild West, choking a man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's okay. I don't know. It's the '40s. Everything is weird, and it's a western, and it was its whole other thing. But let's talk about another thing that's another place. Sublingy Manche, the commune in the Department of Normandy in northwestern France. That's all we know. They have a coat of arms. It's red and white. Uh, it's eight square kilometers. Probably not a cowboy in the whole place. No, but they do have a pretty, you know, there's a picture here, and it does look kind of nice. Old, it's a church, I believe, made out of stone. Uh there's a small cemetery in front of it. Whole lot of dead people there, probably, and some flowers in the foreground. Also, what looks to be a small sedan. Yeah, they have power lines, even power lines, and there's not a cowboy choking anyone during a musical number. So that's probably an improvement. I also just noticed that he's actually choking two different people <laughs> on this poster. Oh yeah, he is. There's there's like he's he's choking a guy, and then. In the corner, he's choking a different dude. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. this is a problematic individual. I'm sure his songs were wonderful, um, but I don't think that that's going to be enough to. Oh gosh, is it really not going to be enough to beat this team? <laughs> no, he's not. It's, it, it, we have to give it to the commune in France, if only because it's way more peaceful. This guy, it's, all we know about him in the two minutes we've been reading about him is that he likes to choke people and he likes the opera. That's true. And looking at the population, uh, which I'm assuming is you know represented in this photo, I guarantee that none of the humans that are in the space of this photo are choking anybody. All 407 of them. There may be. And that is just the number that's enough to move you on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. I'm sure that Subligny Munch is sublime, man. Yeah, it probably is. But you know what's even more sublime than a small place in France or being choked by a cowboy in the 40s? Finding that we are finally at round nine. It's about time round nine. In round nine, we have Ion Vanchia against Tarkma. Beautiful. We have a Romanian bishop facing off against a village in a town that if I tell you where it is, we won't have much to tell you about it when we get to it. Uh, let's see between Tarkma and Ion, which one will own this round. Ion Van Chia, born May 18th, 1820, passed away July 31st, 1892, was an Austro-Hungarian ethnic Romanian bishop of the Greek Catholic Church. Dude, that is so many countries of origin listed in your title. Wow. It was indeed. But that tends to happen when your parents are of nobility. He was born to noble parents in Vasad, Bihor County. He was ordained a priest in 1845. That would have been, okay, he'd have been 25 years old, following studies in Oradia and Vienna. After the death of Loan Alexi, he was consecrated Bishop of Garia in 1865. Well, congratulations to you, my friend. Now, three years later, following the death of Alexandru Sterka Salucci, he was elected Archbishop of Fagara and Albulia. Enthroned in Blage in 1869, he advocated the rights of Romanians in Transylvania and contested the authorities' policy of Magyarization. 
and he died in office in 1892. If we could just back up a little bit, I don't think anything that I've ever heard sounds fancier than being enthroned at Blage. <laughs> Blage. In Transylvania. Yeah. So are we assuming, we can't assume, that would be assumptive, but can we at least say then that this guy may have possibly met a vampire? He looks like a vampire to me. Like if there was an old timey picture of a vampire, he's covering his neck. I'm just saying he doesn't need to. He's just he's covering got a, it. He does have a cross on him though, and that is against some vampiric lore. Yeah, but can't like isn't that just what vampires tell people? Because really, they they sparkle and like live in Portland, and we know this. They play baseball I bet with they werewolves. Love garlic too. They love it. A lot oh of goodness. lot of Italian vampires. Big pasta guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, let's see if this possibly vampiric uh, bishop is going to be better than our other competitor, Tarkma. The village in the Hauma Parish in Hayu County in northwestern Estonia. That is the entire the the Wikipedia article is a sentence, and that is it. It is, but it's only image that it provides us is a map perhaps a treasure map and when one gets a treasure map one has to follow the treasure map now it looks as though within the nation of estonia you got the mainland and two three islands one's super tiny one's kind of big and the other one's right in the middle now this town seems to be at the southern tip of that mid-sized island and i gotta think just looking here at a glance that might be one of the best places in Estonia to be. Yeah, I've never visited Estonia, and I would hate to upset any of our Estonian listeners by making fun of your country. I just don't know enough about it to say whether I'd like it or not. And I know a little bit more about Ion, who sat on the throne in Blaj. Oh, you had a good rhyme there going. Tarkma, I wish I could tell you more about yourself, and I wish that uh, I, I knew a little bit. I wish this article was filled out. If anybody's from there, knows anybody from there, not only should you fill out this article, but you should also give us a like, subscribe, share, tell your friends that the tournament of everything here is talking about Tarkma. And if you know there, been there, I think it would be great if you would tell everybody about it. That being said, I don't want to talk about you in the next round. So, I own Vanchia. You are moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Well, that's been our show. We've taken you through nine rounds of the most random things Wikipedia had to offer, at least today. We do this semi-randomly, usually consistently, but don't worry. There are plenty of episodes out there where if you just go wherever you get your podcasts, find one, listen to it. If you like it, like it. If you want to get more of them, subscribe. It helps the channel, channel, podcast thing, the thing we're doing. And the more you like it, the more other people get a chance to like it too. Slowly chipping away at that unending hill that is infinity we are the tournament of everything and we hope to see you next time the ultimate tournament of everything